Hey, good morning. If you're new, I'm Charlie, lead pastor here, and it's promotion Sunday in the greenhouse today, which means the kids, if you're, you know, you you're, you know, you go to a different classroom, if you meet the new requirements, and you know, our youngest daughter Layla, she starts kindergarten uh, a week from tomorrow, and so she's in the kindergarten class. We've been talking about it for weeks, about how excited she is. In fact, we were at a friend's house uh, yesterday, and she's talking to the mom. She's it was Miss Kim, and she said, Miss Kim, um, if you need me tomorrow, I'll be in the kindergarten classroom. As if, as if, as if Miss Kim might need Layla uh, today. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It got, it, it got me thinking about Promotion Sunday in my, in my church growing up when I was a kid because there was this annual tradition uh, for Promotion Sunday for me um, because I'm left-handed, and in our church, there was exactly one pair of left-handed scissors. One. Not at one per classroom, one. And so the very first Sunday, you'd be sitting there in your new classroom, and there would be craft time, and they would pass out the scissors. to be like, where's the left-handed scissors? Uh. So I would get up, and I would go to the next one, excuse me, can I have the left? Yes. And so, you know, anybody know the left-handed scissors, the little thing with the little green handles on them? You ever seen those? You mock, mock the people who use them? Yeah, I mean, there's, no, I mean, it, it, it was frustrating. It was frustrating. You know, and when you, grow up, when you grow up left-handed, uh, you, it's it, it 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 can be a little frustrating, um, you know the, the the spiral notebooks, spiral notebooks, right? Like, what about spiral notebooks? It hurts! It hurts to have your hand on spiral notebook. And then what about the desk? What about the desk? Like 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 everybody like the desk like this. I'm like, how? Oh, it's real nice. You get you get to rest your elbow on the desk. That's real nice. But then there was this one left-handed desk, but it was super narrow. You couldn't even put your notebook on it. I'm like, why do y'all? Why do you hate us? Why do you hate us so much? Why do you? And, and and so and so and so, and so what happens is, is that um, left-handed people are, are more likely to be overachievers, or or or, or grow up bitter, and I might I'm, I I might be both. Um, five out of the last eight presidents have been have been left-handed. Uh, you're two times more likely to be in Mensa, which is kind of this uh, genius society. If you're left-handed, you're you're three times more likely to be an alcoholic. If you're if you're left-handed, and and so there's just this thing where it's like, it's a it's a it's a it's a right-handed world, and 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 left-handed people just you just get frustrated. It's just bitter, and 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 it's good just to kind of let some of that out today. Thank you. Um, and so it was it was great for me when I remember seeing this little like this little trivia thing uh, on the Bible when I was you know, I think I was in elementary school. Did you know there was a left-handed person in the Bible? It's like I did not know that, but he's my new favorite character. And so I, 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 read this, I read this story, and let me tell you, not only is it amazing that he's left-handed, but it is one of the grossest stories in all of the Bible. It's in Judges chapter 3. You can go ahead and, and, and turn there. And, and I'm sure there are more left-handed people, you know, I mean 10% of the population or whatever, but it matters in this story that this guy's left-handed, so they bring it out, and it's really, it's really cool, and, 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 and it's, it's an awful source. You've been warned. You've just been warned. It's, it's gross. It's so gross, and I love every bit of it. Um, so in Judges, and we were here a few weeks ago, and we talked about Deborah. Let me just kind of make sure we understand the overview of this book. They're kind of in this period. They don't have a king yet. And, and, and the nation would be following God and, and loving God and serving Him the way that they were supposed to. And then they would forget about God and kind of turn away and start worshiping other gods and, and getting sin, and God would judge them. And He would bring judgment upon them. With another country would come and invade and conquer them or enslave them for a period. And, and then they would get repentant. And they would ask God to deliver them, and then he would raise up a judge, a leader, a deliverer of some kind 
to kind of claim some military victory for them, to give them freedom, and God would give them peace again for a season, and then they would forget about God, and then we would start the whole cycle over again. And so the entire book of Judges is just one cycle after another, and, and including that story I looked at a few weeks ago with Deborah. And now here we are, we're back in Judges again with a guy named Ehud, and he's left-handed, which is, again, which is great. And so it, it's a great story. And um, so here we go, Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Again, uh, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Now the Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. All right, so make sure we got this. He mentions that he's left-handed, and this is going to come into play. It matters he's left-handed. It's not just a random piece of trivia. And they are, they are conquered. They basically are being ruled by this uh, Moabite king named Eglon. And they're having to bring him tribute. And if you've ever seen any mafia movie or TV show or anything, the tribute is, you know, the, the local stores have to pay the mob mafia protection money, which is, which is essentially, I'm just, it's like, I'm going to, I have to give you money for you to not kill me. Right? And so that's what this is. They're having to, as a country, they're having to give this king a tribute. Hey, we love that you're great and are not killing us. And so, and, and so for an entire country, you can imagine there's lots of carts and, 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 and lots of people to bring all of this to the king. And so Ehud is kind of leading this group of people to take this tribute, kind of the, this money, this ransom of sorts, to, um, to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. All right, that matters too. It's going to come up. It's not just a random insult to the king of Moab, and he were ugly. No, I mean it, it matters. It matters that he was fat. So make sure we understand kind of what's going on here. So, so the left-handed, left-handed uh, Ahud, he he puts his sword right here under his under his under his robe un, un, under here. You know, because you don't want to have it out here. No way you're going to make it to the king with, with a sword on you. So he doesn't have it on the outside, and he has it on the inside. And so he puts it here in a place where, where, where normal people would not ever put a sword. Because so, if you're left-handed, I mean, you might put it here, but you can't put it on the outside. And so if you're going to reach for your sword, you're going to reach for it over here and pull it out. So a right-handed person might put a sword on the inside over here. So he puts it over here. And here's the thing he's thinking, because he's a bitter left-handed guy like, like, like all of us. He's like, they're not even going to look for it. They're not even going to look for it. They're, they'll check the back. I always check the back. And they'll check over here where the right-handed people put their thing. But they're never going to check over here. Right? He's in there thinking, like, I don't even have to worry about it because these people hate left-handed people so much, they ain't even going to check. Right? And so it matters. It matters that he's left-handed because a right-handed person, if you put a sword right here, you, couldn't, you really couldn't pull it out fast enough to kind of do whatever it is he's planning. So he has it strapped here, um, and that's kind of how it matters that he's left-handed. So he puts it there. Oh, yeah. He was a very fat man. All right, keep going. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us 
and they all left. All right, so again, we've got all these people, all these carts with all this money and grain and, and, and all this produce, I'm sure, just tons of stuff. And so he, they present this to the king, and then they all leave, and they kind of get to the outskirts of town. And Ehud says, hey, you guys go on without me. So he sends everybody else on, and he goes back. And he goes back to the king, and he says, I've got a very secret message for you. And so the king believes this and kind of buys into it and says, okay, and sends everybody else out. And so now it's just Ehud and the king. It says, Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Uh, that's pooping. You guys want to... Stabbed him so hard he's pooped. And the handle says, the handle sank in after the blade. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. You got the picture here? I need to draw it out. You need an image? You need me to put it in there? He's like... And the whole sword, and probably his hand, he pulls it out, and there's not even a handle. It's just the fat rolls just kind of absorb it, and he's pooped himself. And this is what happens in the Bible. I didn't make this story up. I didn't. <laughs> just reading the Bible to you today. That's all we're doing. Oh, my word. All right, so he didn't pull the sword out. Fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. More, more, bathroom, more bathroom talk here. He's relieving himself. Maybe they, maybe they smelled the poop. I don't know. Must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. And they waited to the point of embarrassment. Like, man, I wasn't thinking him so long. Maybe that's it. Can we just take a pause here? Anybody have a kid that's like, is really impatient with you and you're trying to use the bathroom? I am trying to use the bathroom yesterday. I hear shouted from the other side of the house, why does it take so, dad so long to poop? I'm like, what on earth? I'm trying to have a minute here. Wait to the point of embarrassment, please. So they waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. They saw their Lord fall into the floor dead. While they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong, not one escaped. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. So that's an incredible story. It's unbelievably gross and weird, and it's in the Bible, and it was one of my favorite stories growing up because I was a boy, a left-handed boy. It was a favorite story of boys everywhere that know it and a favorite story of left-handers. And as I told Heidi, as we were kind of getting ready for this series, and I told her that this was going to be one of the weeks, she says, there's no way you're going to be able to make a sermon out of that. It's just going to be poop jokes. And, um, and I said, no, it'll be about 10 minutes of poop jokes, and then we'll try to make a sermon out of it at, at the end. Because um, here's the thing, you know, I mean, we try to, you try to make these stories relatable, and it's unlikely that any of us are ever going to be called to be, become an assassin. 
um, this is not something that we're going to do. I mean, we're not going to be ever be in this kind of situation. And so it's, you know, it's not a particularly relatable story. But here we do. We do have this guy. We do have this guy who was called by God to do something dangerous, to do something incredible, to do something big. And he, and he chose to do it. And, and he sees God show up in a, in, a, in a really big way. And I think it is important for us to kind of just kind of look at him for just a little bit. Because I think the thing that we do have in common with him is not necessarily the particulars of his mission, but the idea of mission. That God has called each and every one of us to a mission. That God is calling everyone here to do something beyond ordinary. Because I think what has happened is that way too many of us and I don't mean that just here at the Grove, but I mean, I mean just Christians everywhere, we settle into what I would consider a relatively boring, ordinary life. I'm just going to, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to learn some things. That just sounds real boring to me. And it's not the life that God's called us to. God has called us to a meaningful, fulfilling, mission-driven life. And some of us are settling for regular and ordinary. And, I, and, and if there's anything about Ehud, it is life was not ordinary. Okay, so let's just look at a couple of things that I think that we can take away from, from this story about him. And the first one is this, is that he was incredibly resourceful. He was resourceful. He took advantage of how God designed him. He did not think, you know, well, I've, I've got to do this the way everyone else would do it. He's like, I'm a left-handed guy, and I want to use that to my advantage. I'm going to use that to my advantage. And, and I'm sure through some experience and through, through, through being a part of wars and battles and, just kind of, and being a part and seeing people get frisked and checked for weapons, I mean, he's like, man, they don't ever seem to check right here. I could keep a weapon right there. And because I'm left-handed, I can do this. And he comes up with an incredibly elaborate plan. And, and, and if, you, if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where God tells them very specifically what to do. And he says it, does it very specific so that they'll know that, that, it, is, that it is God that kind of showed up in a big way. Um, one example is the story of Gideon. He has these 10,000 people that are going to go to war. It's like, I don't want 10,000, I want 300. And here's what I want you to bring. I want you to bring a trumpet, a clay pot, and something to break the pot with. And you think, that, that is not a war strategy. And, and, and God says, exactly. Watch what I do. And then Joshua in the battle of Jericho, he says, man, I just want you to march around uh, the, 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 the wall of the city once a day and seven times on the last day, and I'm going to bring that wall down. Again, that's not a war strategy. That is, that is God showing up big. But here we don't have any example or any evidence of, of, of God giving him, telling him what to do. You've just got a guy that's coming up with a plan. And he's incredibly resourceful. This, this is a very elaborate plan. I mean, he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the tribute, and then I'm going to get rid of everybody, so maybe it can just be me, and I'm going to try to get the king alone. If I can get the king alone, I'll have this weapon that's hidden, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to lock the door. I mean, there's a, a whole lot of different ways that that, that, that plan could have gone bad. But man, here he is with a very elaborate, detailed plan where he's using his wisdom as, as, as a warrior. He's using his particular design as a left-handed person. He's using all of this to, to accomplish 
an incredibly difficult mission that God has called him to. And again, your, your, your calling is, is going to be nowhere near that. Um, but you can be resourceful. God has uniquely designed you. He has gifted you. He has, he has put you in a particular situation with certain skills, certain experiences, um, and certain resources that are available to you, and he wants to use those. And, and, and what Ahu didn't do, he's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a priest. I'm not even from the right family to be a priest. I can't bless people. I can't do the sacrifices. What use am I to God if I don't have those kinds of skills? He didn't say that, but we say that. Because we become convinced that the skill sets that God are looking for are very limited. He's looking for someone who can play a musical instrument or can sing or can speak in front of large groups of people or maybe he's good with babies. And that seems to be God's only skill sets that he's particularly interested in. When in fact, God uniquely designed you for a very particular mission. And he wants you to use those resources to do something big for him. And here's the thing, and I've said this before, I've been saying this for 20 plus years in different contexts. And I know, I know, every time I say this, people think, There's no, that, that's, that's not me. That's not me, I, I, I cut hair. I'm, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an auto mechanic. I'm an accountant. I'm a financial planner. I, I, I sell goods to Walmart. What, what can, I, I, don't have, I don't have the church skill sets. But I'm telling you, whatever skill set you have, I promise you there is a way that God wants to use that to do something incredible for someone else and to use your talents to help people know who Jesus Christ is. Well, I just cut hair. Well, my guess is that there's a homeless ministry that would love to have people come volunteer and love and serve the homeless people by giving them haircuts. Well, I don't know how to fix cars. I'm sure there are a lot of single moms on a very limited budget who would love it if you would help them with their car. Well, I'm, 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 just, I'm, just, an, I'm just an accountant. I, I'm, I'm real organized. That's about it. So let me tell you what, I don't know how well you know me, but we need a lot of organized people. Um, I, uh, one of our little, uh, little slogans is, if you don't like organ, organized religion, you should totally come here. Um, it takes a second, I'll let you get there. Man, uh, uh, accountants, people who are organized, people who have a, a good solid business strategy, <coughs> there's a difference between preaching and leading and organizing a church. And, and we need a lot of help. Not to mention the countless number of ministries out there doing incredible things who need someone just like you to do it. And it is time for us to stop believing that somehow we don't have the right set of gifts. You're not just, you're not just attacking yourself. You're attacking the one that created you. And the one that created you made you to be you with your personality, with your skill set, to make a difference in the lives of people who need Jesus. And if you will take the resources that God has given you and, and be creative and, and think about it, like, man, there's a way that God could use this. And I've made this challenge so many times. And, and people think that they can trick me. And I, this is my favorite. I've, I've probably got ten of these stories. My favorite is the guy who came up to me and said, well, I know, I know the thing that I'm good at and like. There's no way you could use that 
okay, what is it? I'm good at concrete. I'm like, the sidewalk in front of the church office is broken. Could you fix it? Are you serious? I'm like, yeah. That was on a Sunday, and on Tuesday, he was out there as happy as he could be uh, repairing the sidewalk. One of, he, 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 he was half-joking with me, but then all of a sudden that moment is like, wait, I, I really can be me and do something that matters for God? Yes. Yes, you can. And if you need help with resourcefulness, then I will be more than happy. I will continue to accept challenges of your skill sets and passions and to set you up in a place where you can do something big and incredible for God. But we're going to have to believe and we're going to have to be resourceful in this way to use what God has given us. But it's not just simply that a lot of us, we just don't, we just don't believe that God wants to do this or that we have the right skills. Even if we do, I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear that we have, but, but Ehud, he was not fearful. He was resourceful and he was also bold. He was incredibly bold. I mean, that is, let's just be honest, the mission that he went on was a suicide mission. It was a suicide mission. There's no way he's coming back from that alive. And he, he had to be thinking that. Because how many different ways can that thing go wrong? He comes back to the king. He's like, I've got a secret. And, he, and the king's like, so what? You're a nobody from a country I don't care about. Leave. Okay? Well, now i just got to kill him here in front of everybody. Or he says, okay, great. And so me, uh, the king, his guards, and, and, um, and a handful of advisors, please tell us your secret. Like, well, okay. And, or he could have closed the doors and locked them, and people have been like, who are you to be locking the king's doors, dude? What did you do in there? Right? Any number of places. My guess is he thought there was a solid chance this was going to be a suicide mission, but he didn't care because... Uh, King Fatty McFatterson was, was, was going down. I'm taking this guy out. Even if I can't take them all out, because they're probably only going to get, like, I'm going to kill the king first. I'm not going to be able to get my sword out of there. And then they're taking me out, which is fine. I'm going to do this thing. We don't have any record that God assured him, gave him this plan, assured him that he was going to live. He just made a decision. This is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to go do it, and whatever happens is what happens. Now, again, I believe that God is putting mission ideas in every one of our hearts and minds right now about how He can use you to do something incredible, to serve other people, to help people find Jesus. He's putting all those things in your mind. And it is very unlikely, very unlikely, that any of them bring death on the table. I mean, you're not likely to going to die doing the thing that it is that God's calling you to. So it's not that level of fear and boldness. But there's still some fear. There's still some fear. I mean, there's, there's an awkwardness. What, what people make fun of me. What if people say weird stuff? What if, <coughs> what if I do it? What if I try to do it and I fail and I don't... I don't want to fail. I don't, I don't, I don't want... It, it's, it's easier to try nothing and, and not lose than, than to try something and, and, and be humiliated. And there's all of these things that echo in our mind and, and, and fear. Fear overcomes us. And so again, we settle for ordinary. I'm just going to come to church and try to be a good person. And eventually you're going to get bored with that. I, I get bored just describing it. 
But God is calling you to something big and something great. And I was thinking about that this week. Um, we're, on the, we're, we're on the lake. We're on the lake area. We're on vacation. All, all five of us went, went down to, to, to a lake. I have a friend that has a, has a lake house and a, and a very high-powered boat. And he just loves to take, he loves, he loves to take us out. And um, Heidi and, and Layla, the youngest, she, she's five. They, they went out first. And um, we have this thing, and some of, you, some of you know it. Some of you who've not been around may not know this, but I'm, I'm a terrible dad, and um, I make my kids do things they don't want to do all the time. I make them ride things that they don't want to ride as soon as they're tall enough. I, I've, I've taken crying kids onto multiple roller coasters over the last 15 or so years. I've, I've, I've watched them cry with me. I've taken them back on rides that they just cried on. Um, I, 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 this is what I am. And it sounds awful, but I'm telling you, I, 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 think, I think what it does is it produces um, uh, bold, courageous young women. And, 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 we, and we don't want to be scared of things that are fun. You can prefer not to do something once you've tried it. We're not going to be scared of things that are, that are not scary. And so it's different with each one. Maylee, who's the oldest, she's now, she's now 19. Um, it was about 8 or 9 it clicked for her, where all of a sudden she was like, all this stuff is actually pretty fun. There's no reason to be scared anymore. But she was being pushed by her five-year-old sister who n- never was scared of anything, who would have, it just has no fear. We were, we were trying to make her be scared. No, you, you can't jump out of that window. You just, you sh- no, you can't, no, you can't, no, no, okay? So she's getting pushed by her sister, right? So we got Maylee who's kind of timid. And then we have Layla, and we're not sure about her. But as always, she kind of ends up being somewhere in between. And something, something, something switched in her uh, this week. So we're on the inner tube, and at first it's Heidi and her, and they're on one tube just going really slowly behind the boat. And, and Mom, who married into the family, so she gets some exemptions, she's just like, she's just doing this the whole time. She's going slow. I'm thinking eventually that, that tube's going down. You've know, you got to go fast enough to keep the tube going. She's like, keeps going slower, 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 slower. And there's some, whatever, all right? And so then the girls and I go, and we're on two tubes. Um, and we're getting flung all around. We're jumping back and forth from tube to tube. And at one point, we've got all three of us on one tube getting beaten in the head with, with, with the empty tube. And, and Layla's on the boat. Layla's on the boat. She's just watching all this. Don't know what's going through her mind. She thinks it's fun. She always thinks it's fun when we do stupid things. She just she loves it. We get back on the boat and say, Dad, I want to go with you. And can, can, can I have my own tube? And at the same time, Heidi said no, and I said yes. And... Um, <laughs> And so we got on two different tubes, and, um, and every minute or so, she's like, Dad, faster, Dad, faster, Dad, faster, faster. So I just kept saying, faster, faster, faster. And so then finally I said, hey, why don't you, you know, I kind of gave a signal to swing us out, and so he's swing, swinging us around, and she's just loving life. So after that, we get, we get the girls, and it's me and Layla on one tube, and, 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 and the other two on the other tube, and we're, we're going back there, we're going pretty fast. I'm like, do you, you want to jump, you want to jump the other tube? And before she could get yes out of her mouth, I mean, she spider-monkeyed her way over to that other tube. And she didn't weigh much of anything, right? So we're actually, by the end, we're tossing her back and forth, right? And she's just loving life, that this is just the most amazing thing. And at one point, she's like, hey, uh, I, I, I want to get off now. And Lauren's with her, and she's like, you want to you wanna, you wanna stop the boat? It's like, no, I want to fall off. And she starts to, to just like fall off, and Lauren thankfully grabs her. It's like, that's not what we do. And... Um, so then we go to Whitewater, this water park in Branson later, and she rides everything. 
And she goes to Silver Dollar City and she rides things that she's never ridden before, declaring everything awesome. I want to do it again and everything's awesome. And something switched in her mind because she's sitting there on that boat. She's sitting there on that boat and she's watching other people have a great time. And rather than thinking about how scary it might be and how frightening it might be and what could happen and how scary that looks, she thinks, they're having fun. They're experiencing something that I'm not and I want that and it just, it just clicked. And, and now there's no holding her back. There are people all around you that are becoming foster parents and bringing new kids into their family and, and, and people that are adopting. There are people who are loving and serving the homeless in our community. There are people out there who are taking uh, school supplies to, to, to the needy in our community who are going out to some of the more desperate parts of our, of, of our neighborhood and bringing the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And there are people out there having incredible faith experiences where God kind of brought this person to me and I talked to them and I was able to help them and love them and help them know who Jesus is. There's people all out there. they got all these incredible stories how God is using them in huge ways. And we're sitting on the boat. And we're sitting on the boat. And I'm trying to decide. Is, is what they're doing, is that scary or awesome? Now, if, if you've been around more than just a few months, you've probably heard something on this theme before. And, the, and so then the real question for you then, if you've heard this before, is this going to be one more time that I hear this and become absolutely convinced that he's talking to somebody else? And, and there's no way that I'm gifted enough to be used by God in a significant way. And even if I were, I'm too scared. Or is this the time where I say, I'm going to step out of the boat and I'm going to be resourceful and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to let God put me on a mission with no fear, trusting in God, and watch Him do something incredible. Because here's the deal. In the story of Ehud, it says they were, they were under the, the occupation um, uh, of this bad king for 18 years, and then Ehud delivered them, and it says that they had peace for 80 years. Man, the, the reward, the blessing that God has that follows the bold step is huge. There's a huge blessing on the other side of our bold steps of faith. Again, there's way too many people here in this room for me to even begin to speculate about all of the things that God may be putting in your heart and your mind right now. The things that probably He's been talking to you about for weeks or months or years that you failed to do. I don't know what those things are. But I do know this, that it is time to say yes. It is time to believe. And so as we worship, as we pray, the prayer team will be back there praying for you. And I would love for you to go back there and pray with them. Um, There's prayer candles. There's communion available. You can pray at the cross. We've got time for worship. Let's just be praying. Let's Let's just ask, God, okay, what would you have me do? And then let's pray for each other that we would believe and be bold and expect God to do huge, incredible things in and through us for Jesus Christ in a world that so desperately needs Him. Let's pray.